Well, hey, everybody, welcome to a new episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast by the Grove Church where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I was going to roll with it. I was going to do the next part. <laughs> I just wanted to throw it out there. All right. No, you can do it, dude. Because <laughs> it, it super matters. <laughs> I just wanted to throw you off a little bit. It was funny. All right. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. Yep, and if you have any questions that you would like to get answered about the, uh, the Bible or what we're reading, any question really, uh, email those questions to info at grove.church, that's info at grove.church, or shoot us a message uh, on our Facebook page. We love to hear your questions, you guys. There's some of you that are out there throwing us um, some awesome curveballs that are really um, challenging, but we're loving it. But with that, man, I'm excited to hop in into this week's Bible talk, and where we are going uh, is the book of First Thessalonians. And Second Thessalonians. And Second Thessalonians. Both the Thessalonians. Both Thessalonians. Are we doing them back to back? We are. Oh, right. One, one right after the other. Man. Well, uh, uh, the book of Thessalonians, um, it's actually funny. You, We were just talking, we've never really deep dived into these books, um, but as I was preparing, I didn't realize how many quotable scriptures that I knew was from First, Th- First and Second Thessalonians. Yeah, when you look at lists of um, most popular books of the Bible or more, most popular epistles or letters, um, Thessalonians is rarely at the top of those. Yeah, but there's some really interesting content in there. Yeah, you're gonna kind of we're gonna probably bring up a few verses, and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, I I know that one by heart. I didn't know that it was in there, or at least I've heard that before, and it's stuck out to me. Right. Um. But real quick, we are going to just kind of give you a little bit of context here. Um. The first thing is, uh, Paul wrote this, so the Apostle Paul. Um, he wrote this um, along with um, what scholars believe Silas and Timothy. If you remember, Paul and Silas did missionary journeys together. Paul was Timothy's pastor, essentially, that would continually pour into him. Um, this, ow, I just bit my tongue on the podcast. <laughs> that uh, hurt really do bad. Me, do you want to take over for a second here? No, no, you're good. Uh, that doesn't mean that Silas and and Timothy like wrote it with him, but obviously, um, based on some scholars, they probably gave some input. Do you have anything that you want to say on that? No, that's pretty much it. I think it's it's really fun to um, with some of the earlier epistles, the later ones that Paul writes from prison in Rome. Um, we don't get to see what he's doing while he's writing because Acts ends basically yeah. when he gets there. Whereas with these epistles, um, we know that Paul writes these. I believe he writes. I know he writes second. Thessalonians from Corinth. Uh, he writes First Thessalonians from a region that I can't remember. But you know what? I even have it. Give me two seconds, and I'll, g- figure I'll give out. you two seconds. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, anyways, during the missionary journeys of Paul, this is again after him and Barnabas split up over John Mark. Him and Silas are traveling, and so if you go back and read through portions of Acts, you can actually kind of pick out where Paul would be writing uh, some of these early letters. It's it's a really really cool thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I thought I had it in my notes. It's actually in my Bible. Um, which I don't have in front of me right now because I'm using good. my iPad because I'm a millennial. Um, well, but, we're both using iPads. Yeah. So. Well, um, but anyways, um, so real quick, this book was written in uh, early AD 50, um, the early AD 50s. Um, and this would make First Thessalonians one of Paul's oldest or earliest letters to the church. We're not really sure if it is his earliest. Me and Evan were just talking about this. But um, when you get to like the first two or three, we're just going to say it's 
it's in that category. It's really, it's, and we don't have a definitive answer of if it isn't. Um, some scholars do believe this is the earliest book. And really, really quick as an aside, um, I was actually just listening to um, a conversation with William Lake, Lane Craig. Um, and one of the things that was brought up is the idea of like, well, you know, how can we trust the Gospels um, when they're written so much further after the yep. fact? Which, A, like in a historical concept, uh, context, 25, 30 years after the fact is not actually that much longer when you consider the sources we have in other places. But um, what the what these early epistles do, and we'll talk about specifically First and Second Thessalonians, um, they are clearly communicating that the idea that Jesus was God was not something that was added on later. These are written yes. about 15 years after yeah. uh, Jesus has uh, died and risen, risen again, which... Um, is really not enough time to mm-hmm. be able to make some of these claims and not have them be rebuffed. Yeah, and real quick, what I want to clarify something that Evan just said because you said AD fifty AD means after death. Um, we don't calculate AD like when Jesus died. Basically, the thirty three years of Jesus's life, he was in the AD category. Yeah. So Jesus died in AD um, thirty three ish. Ish, yeah, and so when he says, you know, fifteen years, seventeen years, whatever, um, this was really closely connected. Let's talk about this. Uh, Eighteen years ago, um, the twin towers were hit, and nobody thinks that was fake. You and know you, what I mean? And you wouldn't bat an eye about someone today writing an eyewitness account about what happened when the twin towers fell. Yeah, and so it's the same concept here. Is this was so close? in proximity to what Jesus had did. Um, but back to first Thessalonians, I'll just give a little bit of context, even for uh second Thessalonians too, because it's the same, you know, church that we're, that Paul is writing to a um, little bit different issues that were arising. But Paul, um, like we said earlier, planted this church and the letter, much like his other letters is basically about teaching them proper doctrine. Um, and here's the deal. We can read into what they were struggling with based on what Paul writes. So due to the heavy influence that Paul writes about the second coming of Christ, um, we can paint a picture and we can get an idea that this was a huge concern to the church in Thessalonica. Um, Paul describes how Jesus will return, um, but not when. Um, yeah, sorry for all of you who are looking for that answer. Listen, I've got it um, scribbled on the... On my wall in crayon. Oh, wow. So okay. I figured it I out. I have it in pencil, so every day I'm wrong, I can just erase it and write a new date. That's smart. Yeah. One day I'll nail it if I'm still alive. If you guess every day, <laughs> eventually. But basically, Paul's um, thesis, his his statement that he's trying to get across to them, uh, we can find in, in chapter 2, verse 12, is that... Uh, that the the church of Thessal the church of Thessalonica man that was hard for me to say um, should and this is verse twelve in chapter two live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy for He called you to share His kingdom or to share in His kingdom and glory and that's what Paul is saying he said hey we don't know the date we don't know the time but you should live your life um, in a way that's worthy of if Jesus does come back in fact he goes on to um, to say, and I'm not sure it's, it's later in the book. He says that it comes that the, the day of Christ will come like a thief in the night that we don't know. Um, man, a, a fun fact though, um, Evan, I don't even know if you know this. Well, you might know it cause you've read my notes. I, I did not know before I read your notes. Yeah. Though. Fun little fact. Um, we have in, uh, what is it? First 
Thessalonians, oh, excuse me, no, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 16 contains two of the shortest verses in the Bible back to back, which is always be joyful and never stop praying. And in the ESV, it's rejoice always, which would tie it with Jesus wept if you're just counting words. True, so. true. How many syllables though? Jesus wept, rejoice always. This makes for great podcasting. Wow. Counting okay. on our fingers. But all in all, uh, Paul encourages the church to live a life, like we said, in preparation for Jesus's eventual return. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul states that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And here's the deal. If Paul's warning, uh, if Paul was warning these believers, you know, 2,000 years ago, how much more should we live like that today because that time has passed? I mean, it didn't happen then. He's saying, hey, we got to live worthy of, you know, Jesus' return. I think it's just important for us to remind ourselves that, man, we need to evermore be living lives that are worthy of Jesus' return. Well, and speaking of that, they do start living uh, like the return of Christ is very imminent. And in fact, that's uh, a big reason why Paul has to write 2 Thessalonians. Um, and 2 Thessalonians is a really interesting book. It's dated about a year after 1 Thessalonians. So depending on where um, you think 1 Thessalonians should be dated, I would say 2 Thessalonians is probably written about 80-51, uh, give or take, you know, if you're saying 80-50 for 1 Thessalonians. A couple really interesting things about the second letter that Paul writes to this church. Um, he's writing to correct some of the misunderstandings about the things he talked about in 1 Thessalonians. So, 1 Thessalonians is very concerned with uh, what's called the day of the Lord, or in other words, you know, Christ comes back, uh, there's judgment for non-Christians, there's even judgment for Christians, but in a different way, um, really, where there are rewards and things like that. And really, it's talking about this hope that all of us have as Christians that eventually what the end game is is that we get to spend eternity with God. Nice so, Avengers reference. Thank you. There. You know that that up there, that's the end game. Uh-huh. Uh but I smell a sermon series. Oh. But uh what Paul is talking about is the importance of living with that in our minds. And so again, we can read into some of the things that are going on at with the church at Thessalonica just by kind of reading what Paul's talking about. Um apparently some people were just quitting their jobs and just waiting for God to come back. And so, and, and what happened was, and this is where it's, I, I believe this does not come up anywhere else in the Bible. Someone wrote a letter um, and forged Paul's signature and delivered it to the church. And so where we get that is in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 1-2, it says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by either spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so what we get is this idea that we don't know if it's someone, if it's a group of people, whatever it is, um, the church at Thessalonica is under the impression that Paul wrote a letter to them saying like, hey, the day of the Lord has come, judgment's here, you guys missed it. And so there's a bunch, which would be a, which would be it's a. It's like that, it's like that, uh, that birthday card of like Noah's Ark and the two unicorns are standing on the, on the shore and saying, oh crap, was that today? <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but that's awesome. I don't know, it's funny. I right? think I've seen one with dinosaurs, but. Same thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's funny that, um. I don't know. I guess for me, like what we were saying earlier, we didn't really, we've never really dived deep into First and Second Thessalonians. I've never thought about forgery or no, it wouldn't be plagiarism. It'd be forgery. Yeah. In this context, like you don't think of like, um, 
the early church, we we think of like Paul being the only voice, right? Or like you know Barnabas, or like these missionary journeys, or like you know the disciples that went out. We think of them being the only voice, but there were people trying to take this down from the beginning, which is probably what was actually happening here. Yeah, or it's just someone who um, just believes different things. And then they decide to use Paul's name to get more people to believe it. Because at this point, Paul is very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, shady. So yeah. not something that you want to do. But Paul writes Second Thessalonians uh, to correct a lot of the doctrinal errors um, that's going on. But what's a, a few things I think are really interesting. First, um, I always reference 1 Corinthians because it's one of my favorite letters because it's just basically Paul slapping around a church and seeing like, what are you doing? Um, he very much could have done this with this church? Like, why are you quitting your jobs and just sitting around and waiting for the day of the Lord to come? Like, it's like, no, like, go out and do things. But he he starts off the letter by commending them for their faith. And he basically says, you know what, guys? Great job on having such faith in the fact that Jesus is coming back that you didn't even doubt that that, that it's imminent, that it's going to be here. And his his letter takes on more of a tone of loving correction. Yeah. I guess Corinthians is loving correction too, just in a different way. But it's it's very gentle. I guess is the right word. Yeah, I'm thinking Corinthians of. is blunt. He's saying you guys are idiots. Don't forget. But Thessalonian, Thessalonia, <laughs> Thessalonica, <laughs> the Thessalonian, uh, the the book of Second Thessalonians. There, there it go. is. It's very much like hey, like, it's almost like a it's almost like a kid that fell off their bike and the dad's picking him back up and saying hey. Like, don't be afraid of this. Like, yeah. get back on the bike and go again. And so, yeah, it's it's a great deal. Um, and then I would say, it, as you're reading through Second Thessalonians, a bunch of really interesting things about the end times just end up coming up. And so, we get a little bit of information about this figure of the Antichrist. Um, and one thing I would say, um, and we say it's pretty often on the podcast, but the Bible leaves the Antichrist very vague. And so, be careful about trying to uh, bring clarity, which the Bible about to something about which the Bible is intentionally vague, yep. but open hand, yeah, oh, and also an open handed issue. But from from what we can gather in Scripture, um, there is some type of figure who just opposes God that will eventually rise up. Um, it even talks about asserting himself as God. Um, whatever's going on, this figure coming is a signal that. The return of Christ is imminent, basically. Yeah. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, this figure hasn't risen, so you know that the day of the Lord it has not yet come. Those two things are very connected. Um, and, and Paul's making that connection, saying, like, look, if, if one's here and not the other one here, then then one of those things hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I think that we need to be careful as Christians. Um, we need to separate – and, and I know this is going to be, like, kind of crazy, what I'm about to say, but – as a pastor, and I'm sure Evan is right here with me, we see this happen quite often. We need to separate politics from the Antichrist. Um, there has been many times where, like, you know, I remember specifically like Barack Obama, everyone's like, there's this, you know, thing in um there's this verse in the Bible that said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, and then you could go through and you could uh, phonetically pronounce his name based on the Hebrew. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you I don't know that's so I know there was one where it was like Ronald Wilson Reagan, all three of his names had six letters in them. Oh, six, six, six. Coincidence? Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's important to remember that, man, like God's got us. We don't need to fear. And, and so many people are like scared of the end times. Here's the deal. I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, we win. 
Okay, so the Antichrists are not, we don't need to worry, because what he even says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. Yeah, the story of God's redemption of his creation is not one of suspense. Um, yeah. It's kind of like the movie starting off with everyone winning, and then God turns to the camera and says, I bet you're wondering how we got here, and then that's how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... Um, it's not a thing where we have to worry about like, man, I hope God pulls this one out at the end. Like that would be awesome. Um, and just real quick on the Antichrist thing, which is something I think is really interesting. Um, there was a string of awful emperors of Rome, all all of whom, and, and I believe it's uh, Caligula, Nero, and Diocletian. I don't know if yeah, that's the order I, that I'm they were in. I'm pretty sure. I don't know the order, but those are definitely yeah. the three. And so uh, Caligula is just, I mean, absolutely evil, nuts. Um, like he just kills people for fun, like all these different things. Nero um, same thing. <laughs> also goes nuts. He burns Rome. That's when Paul is actually executed. He's part of this whole – Nero um, doesn't burn Rome, but basically watches it burn. He the, the When you read the historical stuff that's going on, it's pretty obvious that he's, he's crazy. Um, but he blames Christians for it, and so there's a huge amount of persecution that goes on. And then Diocletian is another emperor who um, – Basically, when Christianity starts becoming more and more popular, so this is he's definitely later than the mm-hmm. first two emperors. Um, but his passion is returning Rome back to its yeah. its pagan roots, and so there's massive persecution of Christians going on. And, and my point in bringing them up is during all three of these emperors, uh, the church believed that okay, well, this has got to be the Antichrist. Okay, well, but this guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> because and so be careful, be careful about attributing. Uh, the Persecu- antichrist, yeah, yeah, like it's the God's people have been persecuted all the time. Uh, us in America, we don't have to deal with really persecution. Like, I mean, sometimes people are mean, I guess, but yeah. it's very rarely serious. Like this isn't China, but yeah, if you look throughout the world, um, Christians are heavily persecuted. That's been a thing since uh, since Jesus. It, it's it's probably always going to be a thing until mm-hmm. the return of Christ, and so. Uh, be careful not to just point to everything and say, like, this is now a symbol of the end times. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. Like, hey, live with the idea that Jesus is coming back as imminent because it helps us to live better as Christians. But, you know, don't just, like you said, quit your job and lay around yeah. and wait for Jesus to come back. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a balance. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, as we continue um, this week, we are hopping back into the book of Judges. And here's the deal. We could talk about other judges. We could talk about, um, you know, Deborah or, you know, just some of these other judges. But let's be honest. We all want to hear about Samson. He's sure. like going to Disneyland and not seeing Mickey Mouse. Um, Samson is um, – it's just a very interesting story. Um, and a lot of times we focus on the cutting of the hair and then it regrowing and God showing his grace there. But I want to – Give us a lens to view this story, this character arch of Samson through God was giving him grace his entire time as a judge. And so um, let's be honest. We all kind of know the story of Samson, but if you don't, I'm going to give a quick recap. The story of Samson, it's pretty incredible. It's a classic falling from grace story. Um, As we look through his life story, it's actually, like I said, more of God showing grace to Samson through constantly breaking his Nazarite vow and the Jewish law. In Judges 14, uh, we see Samson's mom was barren and encountered an angel of the Lord. The Lord, no one really um, has a clear answer of whether this was God in person or whether it was just an angel, the Lord, whatever, doesn't matter. She had an encounter with God or somebody sent from God. And the person said that she would become pregnant with a child, even in her old age. 
fast forward a few months, she, uh, probably actually a little bit more than a few months. Uh, probably but since, nine. Yeah, probably nine. <laughs> yeah, ish. Maybe 12. We don't know. Samson is born, and he is dedicated to God as a Nazarite. And that's awesome. And I love it. And he, you know, we say, yeah, he grew up and he did all these awesome things. And we're kind of left with the idea of what the heck is a Nazarite. And so what we're going to do to talk about judges, we're actually going to flip back to Numbers chapter six. And this is where um, the Nazarite vow is given. And this is what Samson's mom had dedicated to him. Numbers chapter six, verse uh, two through eight. We're going to read it really quickly. So buckle up it says, excuse me, one through eight it says, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instruction to the people of Israel. For if any of the people, either men or women take a special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from other alcoholic drinks. They must not drink fresh grape juice and they must not eat grapes or raisins. I hate raisins. So yeah, that one's easy to give up. <laughs> I love cutting my hair, though, which we're going to get to. As long as they are bound by the Na- their Nazarite vow, they are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine, not even the grape seed or the skins. They must never cut their hair through the time of their vow, for they are holy and set apart to the Lord. Until the time of their vow has been fulfilled, they must not. They must let their hair grow long, and they must not go near a dead body during the entire period of their vow to the Lord. Even if the dead person is their own father, mother, brother, sister, they must not defile themselves, for the hair on their head is a symbol of their separation to God. This requirement applies as long as they are set apart to the Lord. So as we see here, it's so much more than just not cutting your hair, right? Right. It's not, it's not just about, Hey, Samson, don't, um, you know, I can't believe you let this person cut your hair or you told him the secret. No, it's, it's more than that, that you can't drink wine. You can't touch dead things. And Samson, which is interesting because we always focus on him breaking the hair rule. We don't really focus on the other seven times in his story, seven times, I believe I should have written this down, but I think his story ends in chapter 16 or 17. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so 14, 15, 16, possibly 17. In three or four chapters, he breaks the Nazarite vow seven other times, um, which, you know, here here they are. Uh, you can't go near uh, the dead body of a lion. As we see in, what did we say, Leviticus chapter 11? Was that what we landed on? Leviticus chapter 11. Um, it breaks Jewish law, which is the overarching theme uh, and the overarching, um, the rules right there. Because you weren't allowed to go near a dead body of an animal that walked on all four paws. Yeah, the Nazarite vow is a set of rules above the normal Jewish yeah. law that you're still supposed to follow. And yeah. Samson breaks that law. Yeah. And then um, he touched, like we said, he touched uh, or he was near the dead body of the lion, which he shouldn't have been. And then he touched the dead body of the lion in Judges chapter 14. Um, the next one, he killed 30 men and then took off their clothes off the dead bodies, which is touching dead bodies in Judges 14, 19. Uh, he drank wine in Judges chapter 14, verses 10 and 17. Uh, he was near the bodies of an unknown number of dead men in Judges chapter 15. Um, he was near the body of a thousand dead men in chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. Um, and then he touched the jawbone of a donkey in chapter 15, um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, he killed people with it also, He right? did kill people with yeah, it. And so perhaps he, the worst law that he breaks is in Judges 17 when he actually um, eats raisins. So that breaks just not even 
God's law, but just moral law of tasting as well. Yeah. So, Did he do that in Judge Tick? No, 17? that was a joke. Oh, I was about to say, well, I hate raisins. <laughs> They're the worst. Why are they even a thing, right? And then obviously we get to this story in Judges 16, verses 17 through 20, um, where Delilah three different times asks him what a secret of strengths are. He's, you know, he gives a couple of reasons. And then the third time he says, if you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. And I think this is important to realize that this is more of a story of God showing his grace through the constant failures of Samson and him not living up to his God given vow. Instead, we see God saying without saying it, like, man, you've messed up so many times, but I'm still going to use you. Yeah. And what I love about this story is that the character arch is that, man, Samson at the end, he finally does get it. I love it. It's this picture. At this point, you'll read about it, but at this point, um, his eyes have been gouged out. He is bound by the Philistines. Um, By the way, not only that, he was risen up to take care of the Philistine issues, and he tries to marry one of their daughters. So Samson wasn't really killing it as a judge. He was just kind of doing whatever he wanted, and ultimately, it ended up with him falling and crossing one too many lines, losing his strength, and then getting his eyes gouged out. He is shackled, and he is basically put in front of the Philistine rulers to so they could mock him. And I love this, is that his head was shaved, and the Bible talks about one day Samson could feel the hair growing on his head. And that was the moment where he said, God, give me strength one more time so I can defeat these Philistines. And he pushes down these pillars and he kills everybody in the room. And it says he killed more Philistines in that one day than he did in his entire life. Yeah. I think there's the really interesting thing going on with Samson. I think we'll, we'll move on to our final book, which is Ruth here in a second. Um, In the book of Judges, as we're reading, what you'll see is there's always a cycle of, you know, God shows mercy God's people accept the mercy. God gives them a call. Um, they reject it. Eventually, bad things happen, and they cry out to God, and God delivers them again. Well, yeah. we see that the whole story of Israel we see played out with Samson. You know, Samson's story starts off with mercy. His mother's barren. They can't have any children, and God has pity on her. Um, God gives Samson a call, which he, eventually, he starts following, but eventually he rejects. Um, and then bad things happen, consequences come, and like we said, at the very end, we see him uh, – head shaved, eyes gouged out. Like, it's just really, really gruesome uh, the way he's treated. He's kind of just paraded around as a trophy. Um, and he cries out to God and God gives him a, a final mercy of yeah. allowing him to really, you know, do what his original call was, which was to just destroy the Philistines. Yep. And so, um, really great microcosm, I guess, if you want to say a story within a story that is playing at not just the bigger theme of Judges, but also I think the bigger theme of the Bible about God's yeah. constant grace in the midst of our rejection of that. Um, speaking of God's constant grace in the midst of our rejection of that, the Ruth is a great book. Um, it takes place during the time of the judges. And, uh, the reason I like Ruth is it's one of the few, um, love stories of the Bible, which I guess sounds kind of weird to say it like that. But, um, to give just a quick recap of the story, it's really about this family, uh, during a time of famine, they leave Israel and they go to this foreign nation of Moab, um, and through some different circumstances, it's a father, mother, and two sons who move. And the two sons marry Moabite women, so they marry foreign women who don't worship God. And the father dies, both of the sons die um, in, over the span of a few years. And so the mother goes back, and one of the daughters, uh, one of her daughters in law, comes with her. And so, really, it's a story about um, 
I, I want to be careful when I say this, but ideal people in the sense of like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, role models in this story, if that makes sense. Like Ruth, for instance, um, really does model love and loyalty. Like even to the point where when she chooses to go back to Israel with Naomi, it's it's really a story of- Spoiler alert. Spoilers, yeah. But I mean, it's like four chapters, so read, read it. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but when she decides to go back, she's really giving up her life. Um, She knows that most likely uh, men in Israel are not going to want to marry her because uh, she's a foreigner um, and because she's already been married. And so it's it's not something that, you know, guys are going to be lining up necessarily for. Um, She knows that she's probably going to be living most of her life in poverty because they – they're just not able to work. Um, all of these different things are happening. And yet, because she loves Naomi so much, she wants to go back with her. Um, and in, in the same sense, what we get is, uh, speaking of role models, Boaz. And Boaz, I think, is such a great picture of um, like biblical manhood and masculinity. Yeah. Like when you just kind of see who he is. Like, okay, he's a successful guy who works hard. Um, and we we don't know all that much about his business, but we know he has fields, he has servants. Um, but not only that, he's incredibly merciful like we see that people behind him are just a lot of them are poor people and he's you know instructing his people like hey don't go nuts with collecting everything you can leave some stuff for them and so people would follow behind his gatherers they would pick up different things um it says multiple times that boaz is an honorable man he's always trying to do the right thing and i think he's really just a great example of being able to uh pursue I guess, biblical success and also model biblical mercy in what is going on with uh, with his people. And so just to move through the rest of the book really, really fast, uh, Boaz and Ruth fall in love. Um, and again, Boaz does the right thing because there's actually one other person who, and according to biblical law, what would happen is if you, uh, if your husband died, it was actually your relative's responsibility, mm-hmm. especially if you died. Deuteronomy without, 25. Yeah. Verse. I actually pulled it up right here. Deuteronomy twenty-five, verse five. This is the um, the law of what's called the kinsman redeemer. And so, basically, if you know if your husband died, it was the duty of the brother to carry on his brother's family name. Right. So you would marry uh, his wife. You'd have a child, and then that child would actually be not considered your son. You'd be considered your brother's son to carry on that. Yeah, that family as the as the brother who. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the, not, the first not the husband's woman, son. The woman. Yeah. The first husband's son. Yeah. And so um, Boaz actually gives this other guy the chance to do it, even though him and Ruth are in love. They obviously want to get married. Uh, Boaz is very concerned with doing the right thing. In the end, it works out because the guy doesn't want to. Uh, Boaz and Ruth get married. And eventually, what comes from their marriage is uh, King David, is a direct yeah. descendant of it. And so it's really. Um, this great picture of, like I said, like things that we can strive to be, um, and also God taking something beautiful out of a situation that really started off poorly. Because again, uh, the story begins with they move to a foreign country and everyone dies. Like that's about as <laughs> that's about as bleak uh, as it can get. But God creates something beautiful out of it, um, and I can't think of a better way to leave off this week's podcast. Yeah. And so. Uh, just to wrap it up really quick, if you just want to remember that uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out all of our other podcasts and resources that we offer, you can visit our website at grove.church. Um, and do us a favor, leave us a review on whatever device you're listening on. It really helps get the podcast out there and grow this community of people reading the Bible together. With that being said, we will see you all next week.